many of you brought your Bibles tonight? Take your Bibles, if you will, to turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. It's wonderful to see that of Brother Ron Comfort here tonight. And uh, Brother Comfort and I and my family have had a connection over the years. And praise the Lord for that. And I remember when he first came to Shelby, uh, 1988, 87, Well, that's when the school started in 89. So you came even before then, talked with my father and and it's a long story short, but uh, we praise the Lord for that of Ambassador Baptist College. Amen. I praise the Lord for that. And I just want to say it's a great honor, a great honor to be here tonight. And uh, as uh, Brother Dietrich has said, we, we met uh, here. Really, initially, it was through that of the BIMI. And then, of course, with the tragic death of his wife. And uh, my wife and I wanted to come and just to be a little bit of an encouragement, and I praise the Lord for that, and I appreciate the friendship. Along with you and Brother Joel Bixler and, and others, uh, I praise the Lord for those friendships. I just enjoyed the drive here, coming up I-74 and uh, Highway 74, and uh, to see the beauty. Uh, I've lived a long time in Shelby, but I live in Denver, in uh, North Carolina. If you don't know where that is, it's right next to Pumpkin Center. And if you can find that, it might be a help. And uh, so, uh, as the pastor said, the goal is, is just to prepare us for that of thanksgiving. Now, you do understand, we ought to have a thankful heart every single day. Every single day. It's not just something that's just regulated to the month of November and to that fourth Thursday of the month. But it's something that we ought to be thankful because I want to tell you, we have so much to be thankful. What's that song, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I don't think we can exhaust what God has done for us. But tonight's sermon is really, is really just meant to help set up the other men uh, for that purpose. And, um, uh, because I, I'm a strong believer in this. You will never have a thankful heart if you don't have a right fellowship and relationship with the Lord. I don't think you can. And I just want to kind of set that up here tonight about having that right relationship. Look, if you will, to Genesis 17. By the way, we don't want a cold, dead service here tonight, do we? We definitely do not want a cold, dead service. I heard a story about this 85-year-old lady uh, goes to her daughter and says, listen, I got a date tonight. She says, you got a date? Yeah, I do. It's with Fred across the street. Mama, Fred's 95 years old. Says, yeah, but... We've been talking as neighbors, and we kind of like each other, and we want to go out on a date. She says, Mom, I don't think this is a good idea. If you go out on this date, I mean, he might try something. She says, listen, girl, I'm your mama. I've lived a while. I know how to handle this. Well, Mama, if he gets fresh, you do something. Well, they go out on the date, and uh, 11 o'clock, she's not home. 12 o'clock, midnight, she's not home. One in the morning, she's not home. Finally, she comes home around 2 in the morning. She says, Mama, where have you been? She says, you won't believe it. I had to slap him three times. What did he do, Mama? What did he do, Mama? He said, did he, did he try to get a little forward with you? He said, no. Had to slap him three times to see if he was alive. <laughs> well, folks, we don't want a dead service. We don't want God to have to slap us to see if we're alive. Look, if you will, first four verses, excuse me, the first three verses. I'll just start with the first three verses here tonight. And when Abram, notice, it's not Abraham yet. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. Then I want you to notice this. And God talked with him. Say, God talked with him. God talked with him. Did you notice that? Tonight's message is this. Are you on speaking terms with God? Are you on speaking terms with God? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll bless your word tonight. Lord, you know it's not my word. Lord, it's always been that of the promise of you, that you would bless your word, not mine. Not the words of men, but that of the word of God. And Lord, I just pray you will bless here this evening. Lord, I ask that you'll fill me with our Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you here. We need your presence here. We need the Holy Spirit to have liberty here tonight. May none of us quench or grieve that of the Holy Spirit in any form, in any way, in any fashion. 
help us here tonight that we'll just be stirred just a little bit to be in a right place where we can hear from God and we can speak to God and commune to God to we can be in that right place to have thankful hearts and thankful lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, one of my favorite stories as far as, as a concept that, that's something that I, I want to share with you here tonight is found in the book of Jeremiah. If you know the history of Israel, you know that Israel at one time was a unified nation under that of King Saul, then David, and then that of Solomon. But after Solomon died, the kingdom split into two. There was a northern kingdom. There was that of a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 19 kings, and every one of those kings were very wicked. Southern kingdom had 19 kings as well. Some were wicked and some were godly, praise the Lord. But we know as a result of the rebellion of the nation of Israel, whether as unified or even that as split, that God would judge them from time to time to draw them back to him. We know that the northern kingdom was pulled away at one time by that of the Assyrian army and uh, that of the Assyrian nation. And those tribes that were the northern are known as the lost tribes, but the southern kingdom made up of that of Judah and that of Benjamin, how that... Uh, they still survived for a while, but they still rebelled against that of God. And in Jeremiah, we read how that Nebuchadnezzar and his army had come down and besieged that of Jerusalem. And during that time, the very last king, Zedekiah. See, Zedekiah had the man of God, that of Jeremiah, thrown into a prison. Now, when I say prison, I'm not talking about a jail cell like Otis Campbell was in. We're talking about a hole that was just, I mean, just filthy dirty. It was, it was a place where refuge and, and, and it just, I mean, it's just, just dirty, just nasty. And that was because he hated what the man of God had to say. By the way, you know, one of the things that's a problem of today is that people don't like what the man of God says anymore. They don't like the truth of that of God's word being preached. But when Nebuchadnezzar surrounded that of Jerusalem, Zedekiah, I mean, well, lack for a better way of saying it, he just literally freaked out. I mean, he got scared. And he had the man of God, Jeremiah, pulled out, and they met one-on-one. And I think the reason for that is Zedekiah didn't want to be seen with the man of God. But Zedekiah asked a question. And the question is this. Is there a word from the Lord? Is there a is there word from from the Lord, and Jeremiah's simple answer is, there is. Can I say, I'm glad we got a God who wants to speak to us. I'm glad we got a God who's got a word for us. I'm glad we got a God who had a word for him, for that is Zedekiah, and God has a word for us here tonight. You know, one of the greatness or part of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he always had a word for everybody he met. Now, we know there's one person he didn't speak to, and that was during his trial just before that of Calvary, but Every time that Jesus met somebody, Jesus always had a word for somebody. I think about that woman who was there at the meal at that of the, of the Pharisee of that of uh, Simeon and Jesus was there and she starts weeping and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus and she takes her hair and washes that of Jesus' feet. And here's the word that Jesus had for her, a word of forgiveness. He says, thy sins be forgiven thee. Can I say one of the greatest things that God can say to you is when we go to him and we humble ourselves and we ask God to forgive us, he says, thy sins be forgiven. I'm glad for me at age five, when I accepted that the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a word of forgiveness for me. I think about uh, that of a, a word of salvation. I think about that story when Jesus is walking through Jericho and he meets a man in that tree called that of Zacchaeus and he told him, make haste, come down for today salvation has come to thy house. Aren't you glad that Jesus came your way? Had a word of salvation. Then there were times that Jesus would have a word of rebuke. Can I just stop for a second? You know, there's an awful lot of preachers who've determined they'll never preach another negative message. Sad to say. You know, we're told by the Apostle Paul, as told to Timothy and to us as preachers, we're to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, those three things, two of them are negative. 
And Jesus even had a word of rebuke to even to that of the Pharisees. One of the hottest sermons that Jesus ever preached was aimed at the Pharisees. And Jesus told them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Listen, they look good on the outside, but they were dead. Spiritually dead on the inside. Then the, I, I, I read about that time that Jesus had a word of compassion about when uh, of that of one of his dearest friends. And you do understand, Jesus does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. Those who are willing to draw to the Lord. And there was that of Lazarus and the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And of course, when Lazarus died and Jesus showed up, and of course, Martha was upset. Lord, if you'd just been here. And then there spoke to Mary, but he told them, he will live again. He will rise. I am the resurrection and the life. Folks, I want you to know that Jesus always had a word for somebody. What about words of instructions? What about that night when he met with that Pharisee of Nicodemus? I, I said it this way to my church. That's the first episode of Nick at Night. When he spoke to Nicodemus and he gave words of instruction, ye must be born again. Folks, I want you to know, God wants to speak to us. God wants to share his word with us. You see, that's God's desire for mankind. He wants to speak to us. By the way, you know, that's what this book is all about. That of God wanting to speak to each and every one of you. Now, real quickly here, I got a couple things I want to say to, before I get to the meat of my sermon here tonight. And that is this. Number one, I want to say this. I marvel that God even cares that he wants to speak to us. I mean, if you and I could fully comprehend who God is and who we are, you would be literally amazed that God would have anything to do with us, much less speak to us. God is infinite. We're finite. God is holy. We're wretched. God is that of limitless and we're yet limited. I, I want to tell you, anything we are, God is the opposite and God is to the extreme, to the glory of God. And the fact that God would have anything to do with you and me, it absolutely amazes me that God would want to speak to me, much less save me and give me eternal life and give me his righteousness and yet that he would even want to speak to me. But secondly, here's what I want to get across to you. There is a message that God wants to communicate. You know, God does not just shoot the breeze. God does not just jaw and have conversation like we do sometimes. God has things that he wants to say, sometimes to convict us, sometimes to conform us, sometimes to comfort us, sometimes to cleanse us, sometimes to confirm us, most definitely to change us. God has something. Listen, God wants to speak to us. But if you're listening, say amen, would you please? Amen. Not only does God want to speak to us, God wants us to speak to him. You know, we come to a story here tonight where it deals with the life of that of Abraham that a man, according to God's word, really was a great man of faith. You go to Hebrews chapter 11. He was a man of great faith. And yet, in, in spite of that, there were times in his life, as wonderful as his faith may have been, there were times that his flesh wandered. There were times when he failed. There were times that he did not obey God. Now, there was times he put God first. I think about all those altars that he would build. I think about those times that he would just fellowship with the Lord. But then there were times that he just got away from the Lord. I mean, God's just called him out in chapter 12. In that same chapter, famine comes. Instead of depending on God, he runs down to Egypt, a picture of the world. And here we find Abraham at a very unusual place where he's been away from God. Now, we're here in chapter 17. If you know your Bible, you ought to know what happened in chapter 16. Chapter 16 is really a low light in that of, that of the life of that of Abraham and that of his wife, Sarah. Because you see, some basically 10 years before in chapter 12, God had made a promise that he was going to make out of Abraham a great nation, that he was going to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. And we know how that uh, God had just gave that calling and, and how that God was going to use Abraham in a great way and how he was going to bless him with that of a, 
a wonderful family. And obviously, in order to have a family, he's going to have to have a son. He knew about that and understood that. And there are other places leading up to chapter 16 that God reaffirmed that. But in chapter 16, it's been 10 years. Here's what Abraham does, he and his wife. And can I just say, this was really an idea that was actually hatched by that of Sarah. How she comes to that of Abraham and said, listen, I think we know that God has promised. I think we can help God out. I think we can uh, make a shortcut to fulfilling that of God's will. Can I just stop for a second? None of us can outsmart God. And don't you ever dare try to shortcut God's will. Because to shortcut God's will is to violate God's will. Y'all with me tonight? Because what happened was a very wicked thing. Sarah, she said, I want you to take my handmaid, that of Hagar. Of course, where did Hagar come from? Back in chapter 12 in Egypt when they failed God there and brought her up. And, he's, and, and let me just say, Sarah, I think she had the best intentions. There were certain cultural things that she was leaning on and depending on and and she was thinking, if you have a son with her, my handmaid, it'll be the same as me. But folks, in essence, what she was literally telling that of Abraham, commit a very immoral act. And we know what happened. Ishmael was conceived and birthed. And can I tell you, this world has paid a price ever since. Yes, that's right. That's right. We have. All, all I have to give you is three numbers. 9-11, just to remind you of that. And let me tell you, as a result of that, as a consequence of that sin, Abraham and God lost fellowship. Let me point out what I mean. Look, if you will, at the very last verse of chapter 16. The very last verse. By the way, I did ask about what time do y'all normally let out, and I was told 7, 7.15, 7.30, so I'm glad I've got till 7 a.m. to finish this sermon here tonight. I'm joking, of course. But I want you to look at the end of verse, really the end of chapter 16. Notice what it says, in Abram. Now, of course, he's not called Abraham yet. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now, if you know your Bible, fourscore and six years old, how old is that? 86 years of age. Then the very next verse is the verse, verse 1 of chapter 17. And it says, when Abram was 90 years old and 9. So here he is, 99 years old. So just take a little bit of mathematics there. 99 minus that of 86 is 13 years. 13 years the Bible is silent. 13 years, and I think we can glean from this and I don't want to do any disjustice to the Word of God. never want to do that. But I think what we can glean from this is that for 13 years, Abraham and God did not commune. Abraham and God did not spend time together. Abraham and God did not, I mean, Abraham did not draw nigh unto uh, God. And what does James tell us? If we draw nigh unto God, he will what? 13 years of silence. No speaking, no communion, no fellowship. Let me ask you, are you on speaking terms with that of God? You know, there's a huge price for living a faithless life. Now, by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to say this. You don't have to go in wicked sin to lose contact with God. You can just grow a little bit cold a little bit indifferent, have a little bit of apathy. You can be a person that just kind of drifts here and there and you do the outward, but the inward is not taken care of. And Well, friend, I want to remind you, God wants to speak to you and to me. God has a word for you. You know, one of the greatest privileges we have is talking with God. Again, I'm amazed that God will want to talk to us, much less we can talk to Him. You know, there's a song that uh, there's a little line in that song, and you may recognize this, how long has it been 
since you talked to the Lord. Can I ask you how long has it been? I'm not talking about when you pray over your food. I'm talking about generally spend and spent time with that of God. Well, we find God speaking to Abraham again and it says in verse 3, and God talked with him. By the way, I want God to speak to me. You know, when you got these various preachers, will they be on Wednesday nights? You ought to, you ought to have that of a mentality that I'm going to gladly receive the word of God. I'm going to be receptive. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend time even between now and then. Dear Lord, tender my heart. Dear Lord, put things, put certain circumstances, put certain people in my life that will help me, prepare me to receive what God has for me to hear. When it comes to your pastor on Sunday morning, Sunday night, when it comes to that of Sunday school, by the way, I'm glad time change is coming. I don't tell my church about time change because I want those who show up only for Sunday morning service but don't show for Sunday school get there an hour early and then I'm going to usher them into Sunday school. <laughs> By the way, those are people who are probably not communing with God. Not talking with God. Listen, we understand certain circumstances, but you know by and large, people are lazy spiritually today. So here's what I want to do. I want to real quickly here talk about three things when God speaks to us, what happens. And so I want you to stay with me. If you're taking notes, I've got the notes up uh, or the points up on the screen here. But number one, look if you go on the screen. When God speaks, first of all, he speaks with appointment. He speaks with appointment. Now, when I say that God speaks with appointment, I'm not talking about that God has an appointment book. You know, just the other day, um, I'm having to change doctors, and which is, I mean, that's just, <laughs> those who know what I'm talking about, when you change doctors, it's just not like, hey, can I have an appointment? Can I have it next week? I called four weeks ago, and my uh, first appointment with my new doctor is not until November 30th. And to get in contact, I mean, you know how it is today? It used to be, how many of y'all remember when you used to call somebody, you got a live person? Not anymore. There's a, there's a golfer, he's retired, or basically almost retired. His name is Fred Couples. Fred Couples used to say this, I don't answer the phone because somebody might be on the other end. I think doctors are that way. I think businesses are that way. I tell you what I'm a little tired of is when I call somebody, and next thing I know, all I got is voicemail, press one. If you want to reach someone, press two. You know how it is? But you know, when God's, when I'm talking here about appointment, I'm not talking about having to set up an appointment. Now listen, there ought to be an appointed time in your life when you do meet with God. There ought to be a time when you get into that of your prayer closet or whether it's that of your, your personal Bible reading, your personal prayer time. Because you know, one of the things that God loves to do is God loves to meet with us. You know, I think about uh, Adam and Eve where God would meet with them in that of the cool of the day. That was an appointed time that God would come. I think about Daniel there where we read in chapter 6 where after the, 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 the law has been given that he's not allowed to pray to anybody other than that to that of the king and where he goes back to his house and he goes to his window that's faced toward that of Jerusalem and he prays three times a day and what does the scripture say? As he did aforetime. And I, we, we could talk about how that Jesus would meet with his father daily. I mean, one of the things that I marvel, here's the son of God, thought it was necessary to meet with his heavenly father while he was here during his earthly ministry. He constantly would go and pray, sometimes with his disciples, sometimes he would go by himself. But the point is, he constantly would commune. He would meet with God. But when I'm talking here tonight about that of a, uh, uh, he speaks with appointment, here's what I mean this by that is that God made it a point to speak with Abraham. I've written down two things. It was a, he did it personally and purposefully. Now, when I say personally, I mean that God didn't come to talk to Sarah. And that doesn't mean that God didn't want to talk to Sarah. But what I glean from this is if you look back up in, in verse one, the Lord appeared to who? Abram. It wasn't to that of Ishmael. It wasn't to that of Hagar, but he came to Abram personally. 
And he, God told him right off the bat, I am the almighty God. This is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. The first time it is ever used, El Shaddai means he's all powerful. He's all sufficient. Folks, can I tell you, God, Christ is all you need. And this God, El Shaddai God, all that we need says, listen, Abram, I am coming to you, to you. Now listen, we're gathered here tonight and I'm speaking to us, us. When you gather together corporately as a church and God's word is being shared, it's to us. But you do understand there are times that God wants to speak not to us, to you, to you, to you, to whoever you are, God wants to speak to you personally. So listen, there's a trap about when we come, well, God's speaking to us. And we make it to where it's about us when we forget that God wants to speak to me. Something intimate about that. And sometimes there's something uh, just uh, intimidating about that. God wants to speak to us, not just to us, but to that of you. Then God made it a point to speak to him purposefully. What, 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 what purpose is that? Well, look again at verse 1. I am the almighty God, and here it is. Walk before me and be thou perfect. You know, as a student of God's word, we know that there were certain people that God would walk with. We know in Genesis chapter 5 that God walked with Enoch. We know in Genesis chapter 6 that God walked with Noah. Noah walked with God and Enoch walked with God and God walked with them. But you notice that's not the language here. Not walking with. He says that you walk before me. There's a difference in that. See, I think what he's trying to get across to Abraham was something that my parents tried to instill in me is that God is always watching. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and, and, and I didn't know that Brother Comfort was going to be here tonight, so I might pare back some of my stories of my childhood. <laughs> but I got a feeling, and of course, I know Brother Comfort's testimony, and uh, I, I, we all, as children, we did things that our parents never knew anything about. Nobody needs to raise their hand because everybody in here is guilty. I remember when I was five years old, Brother Comfort, there was a next door neighbor boy of ours. He was seven years old. His name was Richard. Richard got with me and said, listen, I found, I found a treasure. And he took me to another neighbor's house whose garage door was open. We walked inside the garage and we found I don't know why in the world anybody would have this. I mean, this is just, this is nothing but a trouble. I mean, had a full, have you ever seen those, those cardboard type of barrels? They're real kind of, not a, not a metal barrel, but they got these cardboard. They use them in textile a lot. Got a big old metal ring at the top. That barrel, this tall, was full from the bottom to the top of matches. Yes. To a five-year-old, we start lighting matches. I'm starting to see what I can catch on fire. I'm, I, uh, they had an artificial Christmas tree. How many of y'all remember those kind of Christmas trees where it was the, the, the silver, you know, you know the, uh, the tinsel type of thing? I was trying to catch that on fire. It wouldn't catch on fire. So I tried to catch their typewriter on fire. Typewriter wouldn't catch on fire, so I tried to catch the ribbon on fire. That wouldn't catch on fire, so I found a stack of newspapers. That would light. Then I found some two-by-fours and put them on top of the newspapers there, and I got them finally to start burning. That's when the family drove up. And as a five-year-old, I ran just as fast as a... Who's that guy, Hussein Bolt? Or who's that guy, Runner? Yeah. yeah. Boy, I was five years old. I was going as fast as five-year-old legs could go. I thought I was... I mean, I was just speeding down there. They saw me. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask you an honest question. If my mom and dad was with me, do you think I would have gotten into those matches? You know, uh, when we were growing up in church and when we got to a certain age, we wanted to sit with our friends. My mom had a rule. If you're going to sit with your friends, you have to sit either at least even with us 
or in front of us. That was a rule. We were not allowed to sit behind them. And you know the reason why parents would do that is that way we would know they would see everything we did, whether we were talking, whether we were scribbling, whether we were passing notes, and it made us behave. Folks, can I tell you, if we just realize that God is with us every step of the way, everywhere we go. You know, we love to quote, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We love to quote that when we're hurting, when we're going through some trial and we need some encouragement and hold the Lord's with us. But can I tell you, when you start thinking about looking at that thing you ought not to be looking at or listening to that stuff you shouldn't be listening to or you're about to be participate in something you know you ought not to, when you're reminded that God in the person of the Holy Spirit is right there, it should stop you dead in your tracks. And that's what I think God is trying to communicate to Abraham. Walk before me. Look at this verse up on the screen, if you will, Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. How many of y'all remember that song, Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do? And then how did it go? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go? For the Father up above is looking down in love. Can I tell you, if we remind ourselves of that of every day, it would, it would change our behavior. In fact, I think it would change our attitude a little bit. Then notice this. He says, walk before me and be thou perfect. Now look, you know you and I, we cannot be sinless. Not in this life. Now 1 John 2 tells us that we are now little children, sin not. But then a little bit later he says, but when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Aren't you glad 1 John 1, 9 is in there? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Aren't you glad that's in there? But folks, even though we cannot be sinless, now we ought to strive for that, but we can be blameless. The apostle Paul talked in Philippians in chapter 2 how that we are to be blameless, and that's the way we ought to be. See, our almighty God, our all-sufficient God, our God who... who I mean, without God, we have nothing, wants to speak to each and every one of us individually to remind us that we belong to him and we are to walk before him. God speaks, speaks with appointment. Secondly, he speaks with that of assurance, assurance. See, we have to understand where Abraham's faith stands at this moment. I mean, at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12, we know that at age 75, that God has called him and God has made a promise. In Genesis chapter 15, God nails it down. God makes a covenant with that of Abraham. He takes those animals and they're cut in two and placed apart. And God has that lantern that goes through and to represent that God is going to be the keeper of that covenant. Chapter 16, which we just talked about, where that of um, there's no baby, and so they try to shortcut that of God's will. And using that of Hagar, Ishmael is there. This is where their faith fizzles. Now at age 99 here in chapter 17, God speaks. And here's what God does. God brings assurance to that of Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I am going to keep my word. And God got specific. Look, if you will, at verse 4. As for me. Now, God's speaking. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Can I just boil it down to what he's saying? Stay the course. Continue to believe in me. Keep the faith. Don't be discouraged. Be assured. You know, one of the things I love to say to everybody in here tonight, those of you who are praying for lost loved ones, some of you have been praying for decades. Stay the course. Keep the faith. There's a story of a, of a family in my church called that of the Bailey family. I love this family. A man by the name of Frank and Betty, they started coming to our church. Their daughter-in-law started coming to our church some, some 30 years ago. And um, uh, that of their granddaughter, little girl, when she started coming, kind of had the big poofy dresses. She walked on her tippy toes all the time as a four or five year old. She's in our church now as one of, a, one of our sweetest girls. But I remember, but, but uh, Frank and Betty's son, who was married to their daughter-in-law with that grandchild there, 
that of Christina, their son by the name of Ted. Didn't want to have anything to do with God. Didn't want to have anything to do with church. He as lost as can be. He was one of those really nice guys. He would help us at the church. He, he'd help us put carpet in the church, but try to get him to come to church. He wouldn't come to church. He needed Christ. His mom and dad, from the time he went off into special forces years ago, he, he's done things that he says, David, I can't tell you what I've done. To this day, I'm sworn to secrecy. He's seen things. And from that day that he was growing, I mean, when they realized that their son, he made a profession of faith as a young child, but it wasn't genuine. They started praying. When he got married, the wife started praying. When the little girl was born, mama got with Christina, the little daughter, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years of age, all through those years. Lord, save daddy. And I remember on a Wednesday night, he's never darkened our doors for a church service. He walked in. I said, hey, Ted, what you doing? He says, I had to come here tonight. Had to come here tonight. Wouldn't tell me why. He sat down. His wife was in shock because they've been praying. He sat there. He listened to the service. He came on Sunday morning, came on Sunday night. Came Wednesday night, came Sunday morning. For four months, he kept coming. He sat, he sat about, um, Brother Smith, about where you are on that side of the auditorium. He'd sit there, he'd listen to me. And I learned later, when he was sitting there, he was seething with anger. He told me later, he said, I hated your guts, preacher. I hated your guts because you kept preaching the gospel and the Lord kept convicting me. And on a Sunday afternoon, he, he, didn't, he never walked forward in the service. On a Sunday afternoon when he went home, he went down the basement. He had built himself a man cave. He went down there and he bowed his knee and he asked Jesus to save him. Now, listen, this, this is a guy, it's all about secrets because he's in, in that of special forces. He doesn't even go up and tell his wife. He comes that night, Sunday night, and just right I'm getting ready to preach, he raises his hand. He says, Pastor David, can I say something? Well, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> no. And I said, sure, Ted. Well, I just want everybody to know that I got saved this afternoon. And our church got unglued. Can I tell you why? Because he had a mom and a dad a wife and a daughter who prayed for 35 years. Y'all with me here tonight? Don't lose faith. Keep the course. Stay down the line. That's what God is doing here. He's assuring him. Now, folks, I want you to understand here. There's people may say every once in a while, well, why doesn't God speak to me the same way he speaks to Abraham? Can I tell you, we got a whole lot better than Abraham. We've got God's written word. Then on top of that, we have the Holy Spirit who resides on the inside. Then we have a house of God that we can come to, gather together. And folks, I just want you to know that we've got a God who can reassure us every single day. Now, I wrote down two quick things. Let me go through them real quick here. God assured the message. He says there in verse 2 and then continues on in verse 4 uh, how you, you'll multiply exceedingly and basically you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be blessed. And he said, you're going to be a father of nations, not just a nation, nations. And Abraham was. And the land, you remember how that God had instructed Abraham, told him to go walk. He says, everywhere you walk will be your land. Can, can I tell you, that has not come to fruition yet. It will one day. You know, there are many purposes and reasons for that of the millennial reign. Can I tell you, one of those purposes is so that the nation of Israel can gain the land that God had promised to that of Abraham. And God had assured him well, of the message. Then he assured him of the method. Notice if you look like verse 16. And I will bless her. Talking about Sarah or Sarah. Not Hagar. 
and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now listen, at this age, Sarah's 89. She brought the stick a year later. It's blue. <laughs> Folks, that's a miracle. You know what's a miracle? You know, we marvel. We talk about Sarah was 89 when she conceived, 90 when she gave birth to that of uh, Isaac. And then Abraham was 99 here, but he was 100 there uh, <clears throat> when uh, Isaac was born. Why in the world would God do it that way? Why in the world would God do it that way? Well, I need to hurry because 7 a.m. is coming close. <laughs> Look on the screen, if you will. Look at here, Romans chapter 4. I want to show you why God did this. Look, if you will, all right? And, and I know it's a little hard to read. But, and being not weak in faith, he, talking about Abraham, considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Look at verse 20, if you will, next screen. He staggered not. Did you notice that? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let's continue reading next screen, if you will, for the next two verses. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now, why in the world would God have it to where Abraham and Sarah would be biologically dead uh, to give birth? And let me tell you why. To test their faith in the face of the impossible. Folks, what I'm trying to get across to you is that if you just understand what God wants to do for you and what God can do for you, there'll be times that God puts trials and circumstances in your life and says, there's no way. And God says, lean on me. Draw to me. Come to me. Trust me. Don't go ahead of me. Be patient. Wait patiently for me. Just listen to me. Just obey me. And you watch. I'll bring it to fruition. Don't shortcut my will. Don't try to outsmart me. But I want to assure you that with God, all things are possible. We read in verse 17 that Abraham laughed. And by the way, he didn't laugh out of doubt. He was laughing out of delight. You go to the very next chapter when Sarah finds out about it. She does laugh as well, but hers is out of doubt. But Abraham, and you say, how do you know it was not out of doubt and, and it was out of delight? We just read it. He staggered not. He believed that of God. See, the best kind of laughter is a God-given laughter. It's amazing how God can use circumstances and when you're right smack in the middle, how in the world, then God does a miracle. <laughs> wow, isn't our God great? But lastly here, when God speaks, he speaks with appointment, he speaks with assurance, and lastly, he speaks with authority. Uh-oh. We like that aspect of God approaches us. We like that aspect that God assures us. But let me tell, let me tell you what we don't like. It's part of our sinful nature. We don't like when God speaks with authority. I have one child. I have a daughter. Her name is Anna. She, this coming January, will be celebrating her second anniversary of her wedding. Married a fine young man, Kyle Snyder. Fine young man, son of David Snyder there, the director at BIMI. They serve up at Buffalo Ridge, just outside of Johnson City, doing a wonderful thing. But my daughter was a daddy's girl. My daughter loved her daddy. To this day, she texts me just about every day, Daddy, I love you. One of the things that we love to do is, any of y'all ever heard of molasses cookies? Anybody here like molasses cookies? Who's never heard of molasses cookies? Who hates molasses cookies? Get on this altar if you hate molasses cookies. <laughs> I got her to like molasses cookies. And when she was off at college at West Coast, she would, we would send her molasses cookies. And she'd take a bite, take a picture, says... Here, Daddy, I'm eating a molasses cookie with you. My daughter was a daddy's girl. She come to me, Daddy, Daddy, can I, you know. But there'd be times, and she loved, loved when we spent time together. 
But there'd be times to say, Anna, clean your room, because she was messy. She was very messy. Her mother would tell her, she'd say, okay, Mom, and wouldn't get to it. I say, did your mother tell you to go clean that room? I said, yes, sir. Go clean that room. Daddy, can I do it? Like-? No, now. At that moment, she wasn't daddy's girl. Can I tell you, there's times that God tells us things that sometimes we don't like it, but can I tell it's for our good? We need to learn to listen to God when he commands. You know what scares me is that people, they'll be in a house of God and they'll hear a message and God will speak to their heart. And they'll go, I don't know. Can I tell you, that's the beginning of growing cold on God. That's the beginning of starting to drift away from God. And then when you're encouraged to give thanks, says, what have I got to be thankful for? God keeps telling me to do this and God keeps telling me to do that. I'm here to tell you, if you don't have that right relationship with the Lord, it's going to be impossible for you to give thanks to that of God. Real quickly here, I just want to show you a couple of things here about that of God's authority. First of all, he authorized change. Change. You won't see this part on the screen. He changed his name. We read that in this chapter. And he changed his nature. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Changed that of Sarai's name to that of Sarah. Abram means that of a high father. Abraham means father of multitudes. Sarai means contentious one. Sarah means princess. You say, okay, what's the big deal about that? Can I tell you? He changed his name. It showed his authority. How many moms and dads in here? Anybody? Name your children other than you. Oh, you heard the story about the girl who was pregnant with twins, was in a bad wreck, was unconscious, was rushed to the hospital, and they had to do an emergency delivery. She was unconscious through it all. When she woke up, the doctor says you had a boy and a girl. But I hate to tell you, your brother named your children. She says, oh, no. What did he name them? Well, the girl he named Denise. He said, no, that's not bad. The boy he named a nephew. <laughs> you want to know why, parents, you have the right to name your children? Because you have authority. God named Adam and Eve, but God gave Adam dominion over that of the, uh, the beast and over, the, over the, uh, this earth. So he gave Adam the right to name everything. Remember the story about that of uh, Jacob when he wrestled with the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christophany? The Lord Jesus renamed him Israel. You do realize that one day God's going to give us a new name? Why? Because God has authority. And he changed their name to say, hey, I've got authority. But not only did he change the name, he changed their nature. You see, to the best of my ability, and I hope I am right with this, but from what I read from the rest of Scripture, you never see Abraham's faith failing anymore. You never see Sarah's faith failing anymore. When Abraham was confronted by God to sacrifice his one and only son, Abraham obeyed immediately. His nature's changed. But then I wrote this down. Not only was it the authorized change, but the authorized command. And I'm about finished here. In verse 10, Abraham's commanded to be circumcised. Now, Abraham's 99 years old. No need to go into death, but let me tell you, that was hard. That was difficult. And not only Abraham, but everybody in the house of Abraham, servants, everybody. Ishmael, everybody. Look, if you will, at verse 23. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin. Notice this, in the self-same day as God had said unto him. Now close your Bibles. I'm wrapping up. I want you to listen to me. He obeyed immediately. How many of y'all want to be blessed? If you don't raise your hand, you need to come down this altar. I'm dead serious. There's not a person in their right mind that says, I don't want to be blessed by God. Let me tell you how I'll be blessed. You ready? When God speaks, I obey. 
Let's say that together. When God speaks, I obey. When I obey, God moves. Everyone together, when I obey, God moves. And then lastly, when God moves, I will be blessed. Do you see the connection there? And if you're not on speaking terms with God, how in the world are you going to obey when God speaks? Folks, if we're going to be stirred by God, it's going to start with when God speaks, I obey. And when I obey, God moves. And when God moves, God blesses. Heard a story about two guys were hoeing corn. In the heat of the day, they decided to take a break. And they go underneath a shade tree, drinking that of some lemonade. Look way up high in the sky, and they see this plane way, way up there. One of those guys says, whew, that plane's way up there. You know, I'm scared of heights, you know. Man, I sure would hate to be up there. The other guy says, well, I'd hate to be up. No, the first guy said, I'd hate to be up there in that plane. And the second guy says, I'd hate to be up there without it. Folks, I'd hate to go through life without having a relationship with God. I'd hate to go through life without having a right fellowship with that God to where I'm communing with Him, where I'm drawing nigh to Him so He'll draw nigh to me, where I will abide in Him. You know, abiding in Him means cozy up, draw close. And that's what God wants from every single one of us as children of God. God, Does God have a word for you? Jeremiah says there he is. God wants to speak to you. And if you want to be through this Thanksgiving season and beyond this Thanksgiving season and through that of the next year, however, the election, can I tell you, what happens in this nation should not determine how, how your relationship is with that of God. Oh, we get so upset at Washington and in Raleigh. Can I tell you, as long as God is on the throne, everything's all right. In my Father's house. Man, we ought not to worry. I still pray every day, even so come Lord Jesus. But I know why he doesn't come. Because he's not willing that any should perish. 